0: fasten
1: your seatbelts it's going to be a bumpy night hey y'all i'm gretchen purser and welcome back to the mess is Mind, the podcast where we talk about faith and religion and politics and all the things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table thanks for tuning in to season four Wow, season four. I cannot believe we are four years into this little project, and I really cannot express enough gratitude um, for the interest y'all have shown and and the fact that you give me your time and your ears. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. And, you know, every time you share it or you forward it or you make your friends listen in the car or you repost it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, it helps spread some of the normal and tamp down some of the extremes out there. So I took a little time, second half of last year, since it was sort of an off-election year. I thought it was a good time to unplug from politics as much as I ever do, and you know, graduated a kid and got everybody settled and stuff. And it was, it was that break from politics. I got to say, it was great. It was pretty great. I understand why a lot of y'all just don't do this, but it's 2024, and we got to put on our big girl britches and get to it. So today I was going to cover a number of things, and I changed my mind. Um, I was going to go into some detail on the Trump trials, but I think rather, I think I'll think i just put the schedule on my website and y'all can take a look at the timing. I may go into it a little bit more down the road, but right now there's so much percolating we could spend five hours on it and still not really have a lot of information. So really, why bother at this point? I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened in Iowa, why we go to Iowa, what's coming up next, and what the path, if any, there is for a challenger to Donald Trump between now and Super Tuesday. We'll look at some of the trends and statistics coming out of these primaries and take a look at who these voters are gravitating toward and Why? And we're also going to talk a little bit about the overturn of Roe versus Wade. About 10 miles from my house right now, during in this beautiful snowy day, there is a march going on for the National Right to Life. And they've done that for years and years. And the goal was, you know, of course, they were going to march until they overturned Roe versus Wade. But they're still marching. Do you know why? I'm going to get into that, too. Stick with me. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, let's go. Okay. So the Iowa caucuses, why do they have them? Why does the whole wide world pay attention? That's a great question. First of all, caucuses are sort of a dying breed. There's not very many states that still do caucuses. Most of them do a primary. And the difference is a primary is just a regular vote. And I think you've probably all voted in a primary. Can't tell a big difference between it's just any other election. A caucus, you have to physically go there in your in person and you have these little pieces of paper and theoretically, you know, different caucus you can kind of make bargains and move your chips around based on who you want to be with. You go there and you kinda of get convinced as to who you want to throw your supports behind. And they have these little pieces of paper, and they put them in these Ziploc bags, and they count them out, and it's real cute, and they're all wearing their outfits. But there's like 110,000 people, which is only 15% of the registered Republicans in the state of Iowa. Iowa's only a state that has like 2.8 million people, and 97% of them are white. So is this a really great snapshot of what the entire country is going to do for an election? Surely not. I mean, it's not even a good representation of one party, much less of the whole country. So the question is why they do it. They do it because it's like Iowa's claim to fame. And also candidates like Donald Trump with a really heavy cult-like following really like a caucus situation. You have a very, very cold day like they did. They had record cold. They had snow and ice. It was dangerous. Only the most motivated people are going to go out and physically put themselves in harm's way to participate in a political caucus. In fact, it was such extreme weather. Trump actually put a message out to his people that said, even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. I'll put it on my website. I know you believe me, though, because it's highly believable. Anyway. You know, whatever he said and did, it obviously worked. The the benchmark was 50%. People said he needed to be over 50, and he got 51% of the vote. But that means that 49% of the vote was for somebody else. Now, why does that matter? Well, that matters because this guy isn't a regular challenger. Donald Trump is really the incumbent. Donald Trump's got more of a following in this country, and more rabid cult-like following than anybody in the history of our party. So he is both challenger and incumbent. He's both insider and outsider. He's both victim and bully all at the same time. He can play all those roles and and get away with it. So the takeaway here is that this was his demographic, older, white, rural, Midwestern, and they're willing to risk life and limb to participate in a caucus. I mean, by my math, he should have had 75, 80% of this, of this group of individuals. And he absolutely dominated with the evangelical Christians, which I find interesting given ads like this.
0: And on June 14th, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God gave us Trump. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, fix this country, work all day, fight the Marxists. Eat
1: Paul somebody. Harvey and is turning in his grave. I can only stomach that for a minute. If you want the whole clip, I'll put it on my website. It, how any Christian is not just disgusted and mortified by something so um, blasphemous? Um, it it goes beyond what I can understand, and I guess part of what I'm trying to say in this particular podcast is: Republicans, Christians, you have a choice. I get it from Christians all the time. I get I got it when I was back in Oklahoma recently. People, good Christian people saying, I don't like the way he talks, but I like his policies and mostly I can just never vote for Biden. Well, guess what? That's what the primary's for. There were so many options of good, decent people running for president, but you guys rejected them. The Christians won't vote for Mike Pence. They boo Mike Pence out of the room. But you cheer a guy who says stuff like this. Did
0: anybody ever hear of the great Alphonse Capone, Al Capone, great... Great head of the mafia, right? Mean Scarface. He got a scar that went from here to here, and he didn't mind at all, but he was a rough guy. Now, I heard he was indicted once. A couple of people told me a few times more. But I was indicted four times. an Al Capone, Alphonse. You know, if he had dinner with you, and if he didn't like the way you smiled him at dinner, he would kill you. You'd be dead. By the time you walked out of the nice restaurant, you would be dead. He got indicted once, I got indicted four times. Over bull, I got indicted. He's actually been
1: indicted more than that. Now he's got 91 criminal counts, but who's counting? Anyway, back to the caucus. If you were somebody that was interested in someone who shares your values, you overwhelmingly went for Ron DeSantis, which is interesting because the Christian evangelicals went for Trump. So by my math, that means the evangelicals don't care about somebody who represents their values. They want somebody who's going to fight. Third point is if you wanted somebody who had the right temperament to be president, those people gravitated to Nikki Haley. Speaking of Nikki Haley, let's head north to the Granite State, New Hampshire. The only people left in the race at this point are Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. Ron DeSantis is not expected to show much in New Hampshire. I mean, he's going to be on the ballot, but he's not going to do that well, probably a distant third. However, Big Orange is tied with Nikki Haley. Okay, okay, I know it's Mickey and not Nikki, but just roll with it. It's as close as I could get. <laughs> anyway, Nikki Haley did a town hall last night, and she did pretty well, but she really needs to get this whole, like, is America racist or not, and was slavery real? She needs to get a handle on that. She really does. I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of late in the game to be answering that question. Anyway, New Hampshire's better for Haley on a bunch of levels. First of all, it's a primary, not a caucus, so you don't have to show up at, like, the town fire station with a potluck dinner in order to cast your vote. That's good. Also, it's an open primary, which means that Republicans and undeclared voters—they're not independents because they didn't register as independents. Remember, this is kind of Bernie Sanders country up there; it is undeclared, so they're neither Republican nor Democrat. In New Hampshire, that makes almost forty percent of the population. The Democrat party is Democratic party is at thirty point two, and the Republican party is at twenty nine point eight. So they're pretty on parity. Um, and approaching forty percent is unaffiliated. That's good for Nikki Haley because those people lean toward her at, at a rate of about fifty-two to thirty-seven, maybe a little bit stronger than that. And according to Pew Research, the religious breakdown in New Hampshire kind of benefits Nikki as well. It is a it is sixty percent roughly Christian. Um, of that though, only thirteen percent is is considered evangelical. And about 26% of that's considered Catholic. The rest, the rest is more mainline Protestant. And as we have, we keep chronicling because I keep scratching my head. All those evangelicals are very heavily in the Trump camp. Um, there are also a pretty big chunk of folks, almost 40% of, of New Hampshire's, uh, New Hampshireites, New Hampshireans, New Hampshire's <laughs> consider themselves nunyas, nunya business or none of the above, not into religion. One more feather in Nikki's cap as she has got someone who I actually was interested in seeing run, uh, Chris Sununu, who's the governor of New Hampshire. Fun fact, his dad was a governor also. He was also chief of staff to George H.W. Bush, his brothers in the Senate. I mean, Sununu is a huge name up there. He's predicting a second place win, and she's already in second place. It's really a matter of what, whether she can eke out a win. Now, that's a heavy lift. That's not likely. But that's this Tuesday, the 23rd of January. The next primary that really matters is February 23rd, a month away, South Carolina. Now, that's her home state. And Trump is heavily favored. It's South Carolina. That's Trump country. But if she can come close to winning or even win in New Hampshire, she can get a lot of momentum in that month in between. She can raise a lot of money and you can have a lot of people defecting because there are plenty of people out there that would like to stop Trump, but they don't think it can be done. Okay, so here's where you come in. Because you're sitting there going, what am I supposed to do, Gretchen? I'm sorry about New Hampshire, and I'm sorry about Iowa, and I'm sorry about South Carolina. I don't live there. But you very well, if you listen to this podcast, you very well probably might live in a Super Tuesday state. Super Tuesday is on the 5th of March, and Super Tuesday is 16 states, including Alabama, Arkansas, Alaska, California, Colorado, Iowa, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. Now, I know I said Iowa, and you're like, what the what? We just did Iowa. But Iowa, that's for the Democrats, because they do a primary because they think caucuses are stupid, because they are. So here's a pushback. In the words of the fabulous Lenny Kravitz, it ain't over till it's over. Ever since Captain Syphilis rode down the gold escalator, the political pundits and pros have been telling us what could never happen, because it's never happened before. But then it happens. Like it or not... This guy's changed the game because he didn't follow the rules, or as it turns out, the laws. But we got to stop predicting elections based on what's happened before. We just don't know. It's very possible that Haley does well enough in New Hampshire and South Carolina to stay alive for Super Tuesday. And that means if you live in a Super Tuesday state, you have the ability to actually cast a vote for a Republican that you can respect. Remember what that felt like? It's been a minute. You know what else? You can stop telling me that you only vote for Trump because you can't vote for Biden because he's so old. I mean, Trump's no spring chicken. He was basically a sophomore when Biden was a senior. And he says stuff like this. More
0: liquid gold. Well, I just met non-liquid gold. You know where it was, Iowa? It's called corn. They have, it's non-liquid. That's my joke. You have more non-liquid. That's a nickname in its own way, but we came up with a new word for, a new couple of words for
1: corn. Or how about this one?
0: We're also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you from your, you know, your your political beliefs, what they do. They want to debank you and we're going to debank. Think of this. They want to take away your rights. They want to take away your country. The things you're doing, all electric cars, give me a break. If you want an electric car, good, But they don't go far. I mean,
1: y'all, this was yesterday. Okay. One speech just all over the place. And you know, he does this all the time. If this were your dad, you'd talk about taking the car keys. Okay, much less giving him the nuclear codes. So I don't want to hear any more talk about how old Joe Biden is. Trump is just as old. But he's not just old. He's dangerous. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be debanked. I don't want to worry about corn. So Christians, please don't say that you vote for Trump because he's a Christian, because he's not. He's vengeful and vile and hateful and everything Christ taught us not to be. There are reasons to vote for him, vengeance or taxes or fear or entertainment, but being godly is not one of them. Okay, I warned you, fasten your seatbelts. Next stop, the mall for the National Right to Life March. So if you're anything like me, you might be wondering, why are they still marching? I mean, they overturned Roe v. Wade. Like, what else is there to do, <laughs> right? They did the thing that nobody thought they could do, and they did it. Um, and it turns out that that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Um, according to their CEO, that's just this, I think it's this, the tip of the spear is what she called it. Um, they're just getting started. And that's the part that makes me a little uncomfortable. The whole idea behind overturning Roe v. Wade was to let the states decide. And then the minute they overturn it, There's a push for a federal ban. There's nothing small government about that. 62% of America didn't want Roe overturned, and they certainly are not going to stand for a federal ban. So the game plan now is to go state by state and outlaw abortion where they can. So already there are 14 states that have a near total ban on abortion, including rape and incest. Except for interesting fact, Mississippi has an exception for rape, but not for incest. And I'm sorry, I mean, it's Mississippi. Sorry, Mississippi. I just have to laugh at some point. This is just too heavy. There are seven more states that have very, very limited access to abortion. But what my point here is that they're being pretty effective going state by state. The other thing they're doing—it's a, two, a twofold plan. They're also going after contraception. Which I—this is the part that really gets me. Like, if you're super duper against abortion, why would you be against contraception? That seems to me to be the anecdote to the problem. Now, they're kind of keeping the against contraception thing on the down low because it's a hard sell. But it is making they're. Making making inroads especially with IUDs and certain kinds of pills and things. So at this march yesterday I didn't go but I did pull up on the website the speaker list and of the 11 speakers nine of them are men. They're uh, football players and members of congress the new speaker of the house people like that people that have a lot of credentials but you know what they don't have a uterus and here's the thing I have always considered myself to be pro-life for myself. And you know what? I have the luxury of being pro-life. I have really good health care. I have a stable home. I've never had to worry about feeding my children. I don't know what it's like to walk in the shoes of another person. And I'm a little uncomfortable enforcing my moral code on other people who have problems that I'll never understand. And as a woman, I got a big problem with a bunch of guys standing on stage lecturing women that they should carry out births from rapes and incest. This doesn't affect them. I mean, women are more than wombs with feet. And it smacks of the handmaid's tale. I'm sorry, but it does. Look, I don't, I, everybody's got their opinions and their beliefs. And I, I, I don't care if you're pro-life or pro-choice. I really don't. There's just so much room for common sense and compromise in this issue. And everyone's so busy, you know, spittle spitting with their red faces and finger pointing at the other side because the other side is somehow inherently evil. And, and you know what? They're not. Most of us are someplace in the middle. Most of us really don't like late-term abortion, and we really don't like being told that we don't have any options by the federal government or by the state government, that our daughters have less freedom and personal agency and control over their lives than we did. And look, here's the last thing I'll say. I know nobody wants to talk about abortion. That's not fun to talk about, but you've got to pay attention to your states, and what's going on with the elections and the voting, because guess what? The normies, the people in the middle, we're not thinking about this, not talking about it, because we find it distasteful. But guess what? The people on the extremes, they are laser-focused. This wraps up my pushback for the whole dang podcast. You guys got to get in the game. You got to pay attention. You pay attention to your primaries, pay attention to the elections, pay attention to state referendums. It all affects your life. It affects you more than you think it does, and you have more power than you realize. Okay, if you're still listening and you didn't hang up on me over the last segment, I got one more thing to talk about. It's of a personal nature. A couple weeks ago, I lost one of my best friends from college. Her name was Lori Dillingham Evans. Lois was a blonde, six foot tall, athletically gifted, gorgeous, really funny, fun sorority sister of mine. And she was diagnosed with MS when we were in our 20s. And by our 30s, it had hit her pretty hard. She was in a wheelchair by then. She was married and had a son, but spent the last 20 years in a wheelchair. But her attitude was just amazing. Her funeral was incredibly sad, of course, but more than that, it was inspirational because I'm sure she wondered why this happened, but she didn't spend a lot of energy with woe is me. She was one of the most positive people I've ever met, and she had every reason not to be. At her funeral, her brother shared some Lori's life lessons I just wanted to take a minute and share these with you all because they're really great whether you knew her or not. Number one, don't take yourself too seriously. That's my least favorite one. (laughs) Number two, be realistic about what you think is an obstacle because with a little perspective, it might not seem so big. Number three, obstacles in life are inevitable. Choose not to let them define you and instead make the best of what you've been given. Number four, when you see somebody that's handicapped, Look past the surface and realize this person has a whole lot more to their story than what you see. Number five, seize each day and live it well. You never know what tomorrow brings, so why not make today the very best day? And the last one, choose every day to be happy and do it by making others happy. Now, I want to point out these aren't things that Lori said. They're things that Lori did. It's how she lived her life. She was an inspiration and I love her and I miss her and I want to honor her memory by being a little bit more like her. Anyway, thanks for indulging me. That's all I got for today. Hope the sun's shining wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time.